The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're in a series on the Trinity. If you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, that's the book right before Galatians. Um, it's going to be kind of like towards the end of your Bible if you have one. Um, we are in a series on the Trinity because we are looking at this doctrine or this teaching of the Bible um, that is the core of our faith. And we want to clarify it, but we also want it to become practical for us, right? The Trinity is not just this sort of like thing that you study in logic class or your philosophy department of, uh, of the Christian life. It's actually the very core and center of our life as Christians. And so tonight we are um, looking at First Cor- or Second Corinthians chapter 13, um, and our life together. So I, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the last few verses of this chapter and then pray for God's help for us to understand it together. And then we'll look at it, uh, look at the whole chapter. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Father, as we come to you and look to your word together, um, we ask that your spirit would dwell among us, that we would have fellowship in the spirit tonight, God, that we would experience the grace of Jesus together and that we would look to you as our good Father who loves us. And Father, we would grow together in our life in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, the way this series has been going is that we have been talking about our triune God, the mystery one of the universe, and we start out by looking at salvation. What does the Trinity, what does the Trinity do in our salvation? Um, so that's how we become children of God. Um, how the last week we looked at how we live life as children of God. So what does that look like for our life together? How does a Trinity factor into that? Right, the Christian life. And then this week we're looking at community. So you could say the sentence, um, how do we become children of God, who live as children of God, with children, other children of God, on mission with God, right? That's kind of how you could put that all together. And so next week we're going to look at mission, but tonight we're looking at community and we're looking at life together and our triune God. And so... The reason that we're making this kind of progress uh, is that if, if you kind of think about it, um, the salvation part, like how we become Christians in the Trinity, like that's like really personal and like it's like, oh, like I can understand that. And then the Christian life, like it gets a little bit harder because being a Christian is hard um, and it's not easy. And so things get a little bit harder. And then just like marriage, if you put uh, two sinners together, uh, things get harder. <laughs> so, so we're looking at community. And a friend of mine, uh, Dave Harvey, wrote a book once called When Sinners Say I Do, which is a marriage book. And it's basically like what happens when you put two sinners into a binding relationship together and say, all right, make it work. Uh, (laughs) It's a lot of mess, right? That's what the church is like. The church is a bunch of sinners who are saying, we're going to love Jesus together, right? Our little slogan, we're going to love Jesus together. And man, it's going to get messy um, because we're all a bunch of sinners and uh, we're trying to do this together. Uh, Paul Tripp, I don't know if you guys know the name Paul Tripp. He writes a lot of great counseling books. Um, he actually lived in, a, I, I lived in the same area as him one time. And I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of him. But he's got a huge mustache. 
um, and I saw him in a mall once, and I was like, super, like I was like an ultra like nerdy fanboy because I was like, like you could see his stash like sticking out. <laughs> I was like, oh look, that's Paul Tripp. And my friend's like, don't go up and say hi to him. And now I have a grudge against my friend from keeping me from introducing myself to Paul Tripp because he had the mustache. But anyhow. Paul Tripp has this great line about the church, and I want to read this to kind of get us into our text. The church is full of people who have lost their way and don't even know it, who haven't made a connection between their daily problems and the transforming grace of Christ. Everywhere you look, so just imagine we're talking about this church, everywhere you look, you find couples who are struggling to love parents who are struggling to be patient, children who are attracted to temptation, friends who battle the disappointments of imperfect relationships. This is 100% of the church's membership, right? We're not talking about our neighbors or our coworkers or our politicians. We're talking about everybody that's in this room right now. There is 100%, this is 100% of the church's membership. The church is not a theological classroom, right? That's people who read big dusty books and uh, like to talk about uh, theology concepts all the time. The church is not a theological classroom. It is a conversation, a confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people place their trust in Christ, gather to know and love him better, and learn to love others as he has designed. The church is messy and inefficient. I love that line. The church is messy and inefficient. In America, we love efficiency, right? The church is messy and inefficient, but it is God's wonderful mess, the place where he radically transforms hearts and lives. The church is a gigantic mess of people who don't know what they're doing. Uh, and if they're, if they're at least being honest about it, they're saying they don't know what they're doing. Uh, trying to figure out how to love Jesus together and live in the goodness of God's grace and the gospel together and grow in Jesus together. Um, Somebody once described the church as the ER room of heaven. (laughs) The church is just a bunch of people who are bleeding out trying to get help in Jesus. And so that's why we are looking at uh, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the Corinthian letter, the the end of Corinthians, because here at the end of Corinthians we see that we must live life together because our triune God lives among us. The, the payoff of this whole chapter, it, verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You got the Trinity right there. Um, our triune God lives among us. And so we must live together. Like that's the basic payoff of this whole chapter. That's why we're looking at the Trinity and community here. And so... We are going to look at this, and basically we're just going to add, we're going to look at kind of three aspects of this. Like, why is the life of the church so difficult? Three absolute guarantees of our life together, and then we're going to see seven strengtheners for our life together. And we're going to be looking at this because, honestly, uh, if you wonder, like, hey, what's Jacob's favorite favorite books in the New Testament? The Corinthian letters, I'd put them together. They're like my favorite books in the New Testament. Someday, Lord willing, we'll preach through First and Second Corinthians because I love them so much. And it's not because I'm all jazzed about spiritual gifts. It's because I love the life of the church. And in the first, first and second Corinthians, you see the entire dynamic of the full Christian life laid out in the context of the church, right? You get a whole bunch of mess and you get a whole bunch of grace. And we end here by looking at the Trinity. So we're going to start out with this first question. 
why is our life together so difficult? So here, I'm going to read the first five verses of first, 2 Corinthians 13. This is the third time I am coming to you. So this is the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others. I warned them now while absent, as I did when present in my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. He was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize that this about yourselves, that Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? My last letter, and here's what I'm saying. (laughs) The last paragraph of my last letter, and he's calling him to the mat. This is a bit of a tense relationship that Paul is ending with Corinthians. I don't know how much you know about the Corinthians. So, so Paul, um, in Acts 18, the book of Acts, chapter 18, he plants this church in around 50 AD. Um, and Cor- the Corinth at the time was a bit of like Boston and Vegas put together, right? It's like a commercial, economic booming place. You know, the Google at the time li- lived there. And then um, all the debauchery lived there too, right? So if you put like Vegas and LA and Boston all together, like that's what it was like, right? It was just like this like economic, they were all like impressed by all the speakers and then they had all this like crazy stuff going on at the temples. I mean, it's ridiculous. It was a, it was a, it was a crazy town. And so in the middle of this, Acts 18, Paul goes and he starts preaching the gospel. It's like people start powerfully getting saved. And what do you expect starts happening when you get a bunch of, when you get a city that's full of crazy people doing crazy stuff for crazy reasons at all economic brackets and all backgrounds you get all those people loving Jesus coming to the same place <laughs> and things start going down. Like it's not fun, right? You got people um, who are sitting at the one end. You know, so we have a meal here at the end of the, day, of the service. Like, could you imagine if, if everybody who like was a Republican sat on one end of the table and everybody who was a Democrat sat on one end of the table and like threw food at each other? Or they were like, well, we're going to have we're going to have our socialized food over here, and we're going to have our free market food over here, right? Or you, you know, uh, you had people who were just dividing over all these crazy lines um, in the church, right? Um, you had in the church. By the way, if we think about the church, the 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 churches that these letters were written to, like I don't know about you, but I tend to think of like like a mega church, you know, like a thousand or so people. The reality is that Corinth was probably like 150 people like in their local church and they got like crazy sex stuff going down. They've got leadership stuff that's whacked out. Like they got like super apostles coming through, um, you know, with their crazy teachings about, you know, marriage and they're like getting drunk while they're at the table eating food together in church, right? They've got people that are doing crazy stuff and they're not like telling them like, hey, cut it out for Jesus, <laughs> you know? Um, they got the spiritual gifts going on and they're like amplifying the spiritual gifts and forgetting about Jesus, right? They, um, they, and then go on in second Corinthians, they have, uh, they, they're starting to say like, you know, the guy who founded the church, um, I think that he's a total, um, doofus and he doesn't know anything about Jesus and, uh, he's not worth paying attention to. 
And so they start to uh, diminish Paul's influence in the church and lifting up all these other people. And then they have like the strange teaching of like, um, if you're struggling and weak, um, you might not be a Christian. Um, <laughs> it's like crazy. The sort of things are going on in Corinth, right? And by the time Paul writes Second Corinthians, this is six years later. <laughs> Could you imagine all that stuff going down in this period of six years with 150 people in your church? Uh, this is probably his fourth letter to them, right? So he wrote one letter that we don't have in the Bible. Um, second letter is 1 Corinthians. Um, after that, uh, he writes another letter. It's called the severe letter in 2 Corinthians. And then we got four, 2 Corinthians. So this is the end of Paul's relationship with them. This is, it is not like overly fun the way he's ending this, right? <laughs> Did you, I don't know if you noticed this. He calls them out. He's like, the third time, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Hey guys, just a heads up. Google Maps is driving me right to you. I'm going to be there in a few months. Um, this is going to be my third time visiting you. And um, so here's what I want you to get ready with, right? Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. <laughs> Could you imagine? Hey, mom, I'm coming home for Christmas. And just so you know, anybody who said anything about me, I've got to have two people backing them up. It's not over like, hey, going to be a fun time, guys, <laughs> right? So he only starts out by saying like, okay, uh, get your lawyers in order, um, right? Uh, he's saying uh, anybody who's done anything that shows that they're not a Christian, uh, we're not sparing the power of God. Um, you're not as strong as you think you are. You guys are a bunch of weaklings and you don't even know it. Like you don't even punch in the right weight class. Examine yourselves, guys. Like you might not even be Christians, like verse four, <laughs> right? Uh, verse four and five, right? Examine yourselves. See whether you're in the faith. Like, hey guys, hey King's Cross, just so you know, I'm going to come visit again. And I just want to make sure that you guys uh, examine yourself whether you're actually Christians or not. It's going to be fun time hanging out. Um, <laughs> right? And then, uh, let's see, how did, yeah. And then if you fail the test, like it might be an open question. Like, so this is how Paul is ending his last letter with this church. And I, we could like kind of like get into like, oh wow, this is like really depressing. But I find it actually encouraging that like, here, this is why I love the Corinthian letters because Paul just acknowledges life of the church is hard. Like there's hard stuff that goes on, right? It's just, it's not just kind of like life, like hard stuff like cancer diagnosis and uh, death in a family and that sort of stuff. Like we're talking like relational strife. Like it's just messed up when you get people who have messed up desires um, getting together and try to do church together. Like it's just rough. And it's encouraging that the life of the church is just like, it's a bit of a mess. It's like, it's as though God is saying, you know what, my design in bringing people together um, is not to get everybody with the cookie cutter family, with the cookie cutter life, uh, fitting into a certain mold. I actually want people to, who have real needs and real mess to come together and to love Jesus together under the power of my word. And it's just going to be a total wreck in some ways, like, I don't know about you, but it just seems like um, it's encouraging that the life of the church is hard, right? And the reality is, here at King's Cross, if you want if, if you want a perfect church, I'm a member here, and I'm a sinner, so, like, it's not going to be a perfect church just because I'm a member here. Now, you could kick me out, but you're still going to be here, and so it's still going to be a wreck um, without me here, right? I mean, if you find a perfect church, the moment you join it, it's not a perfect church anymore. Uh, I'm just trying to be straight in that we are all bringing our own problems to the church, but that's not the point, right? The point is not all the problems that we have and like, isn't this so great? 
Because see, Paul ends the chapter. That's why Paul doesn't just leave him like, hey, all this mess. See you guys soon. Where does Paul end the chapter, right? This is where we find three absolute guarantees for our life together because we're not left as just messy people. Paul ends the letter by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is where Paul makes his turn, right? This is where Paul ends on the good grace of God in the gospel, right? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first absolute that God gives them for our life together. Like, how can we have confidence in our life together? The first one that Paul gives them is, well, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because, I don't know, if you, when you look at 1 Corinthians, the beginning of the letter starts out, I will know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He starts out with the gospel at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. And then he ends the book of 1 Corinthians after, you know, taking him to town for all this crazy stuff they're doing. He ends it with 1 Corinthians 15 with a declaration. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And all these people saw him and he ascended into heaven, right? He starts all this nastiness in the church, bookends it with the gospel. This is what's true about you. And it is is even cooler in that beginning of 1 Corinthians, before he even talks about the gospel, he says to them, right, Right, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you. So you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, he starts out this letter to them that's gonna just take them to task by thanking them, by thanking God for the grace of the gospel in their lives. He starts out by saying, like, look, I've seen God's grace in your life because of Jesus, right? I'm getting this report of all this crazy stuff going on, but I know I've seen your faith that Jesus is enough. I've seen that the gospel has had its power in you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is what defines how he looks at them from beginning to end, right? Paul says as he's leaving Ephesus, right, he wrote the book of Romans in, in Corinth and then before he wrote that, he was in Ephesus. He says in Acts 20, 28, pay carefully attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. So he's talking to guys like me, elders, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Right, before, before Paul says goodbye to them, before he hangs up the phone, he says, you know what? I just want you to remember, I see you not through all your faults, but through Jesus. Right, see, the first absolute that Paul gives them for their confidence in their life together is that the gospel is true. Not only vertically, you've been reconciled to God. Remember, I, we talked about this last week, Romans 8, 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's true both vertically and horizontally. We don't look at each other as condemned people. We don't look at each other as people who've got a wager to have to settle with God. When we look at each other, we look at each other as struggling sinners who've been forgiven by God. I don't remember this moment in the story of Jesus where John 11, where he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. One of the things I've always been struck by is that Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb from death to life. And then he tells his friends to go and take off the death clothes from him. In our life together as a church, we are looking at each other as people who have been forgiven, who still have these these sins and death claws that we have to take off, right? We, we look at each other and say, Jesus has forgiven you. 
perfectly forgiven you because of his death on the cross. But there's still these things that are hanging around. And that's why we do our life together. Because we just don't, we don't always see him and we need help. But those things are not the most true thing about us. Right? That's why Paul goes on to say, the second absolute grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel that is true about you, the second thing, and the love of God. I think what he's talking about here is God the Father. Um, the love of God. The Father is infinitely pleased in pouring his love out upon you. Right? That is, the Father um, has loved all these weird and sinful people and brought them together to be in a church together, right? When you look at somebody who's professing faith in Christ, you're looking at somebody who has uh, loved by the Father as their last name, you might say, right? Their last name is not whatever it is. It's not Jacob Young. It's, yeah, it's Jacob Young, loved by the Father, right? That's why I'm here. That's why you're here, that your last name is loved by the Father. And if God has loved you, you are not just some sort of schmo that's just kind of here, right? The infinite God of the universe has set his love on you to bring you to be a part of his people, right? I don't know if you guys, who, anybody read C.S. Lewis here? I mean, it's a bit of, all right, C.S. Lewis has this great line in, the, in his famous essay, The Weight of Glory. You can find it for free on Google. Um, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Now, what he means by that is not, hey, you're going to become a god and get your own planet or anything like that. He's just talking about like a great being, right? So angels or glorified people. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to one day uh, may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror or a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other, uh, helping one, one to the other to these destinations. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nation, nations, creatures, and civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is, is to ours as the life of a gnat but it is immortals with whom we joke with, with whom we marry, we snub and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. You see, God the Father has set his love upon the people of the church. And when we talk to each other, we are talking to people that will one day radiate the, the light of the sun. Like Jesus talks about you will, you will shine like the stars. Right at the end, I find it fascinating that here's the uh, in the book of Revelation, John, who saw Jesus glorified, he sees an angel and he's tempted to bow down and worship him. Right, guys, I know that like we're all like really cool dressed and like really awesome, but like at the end of the day, when we look at each other, if we were to see the glorified person that we're looking at, we would be tempted to worship them. Because that's how glorious the, God, the love of the Father is. He will glorify us so that we will radiate and be beautiful and handsome and, you know, whatever sort of body shape you want. God's going to, it's going to be incredible what we look like. But that the love of the Father is set upon not just mere people, right? When we, when we talk to each other, we're not just talking to, like, people who are ordinary. I remember there was one time, actually, 
Dave Harvey, who I mentioned, he wrote that book. I was talking to him once, and this is way, way, way back when I was like trying to like brown nose, brown nose my way into ministry. And I was talking to him, I was like, Dave, like I loved your sermon, you're so awesome. And then this woman, 14-year-old little girl, um, who was like paraplegic in her wheelchair, drove right by. And Dave took his immediate attention and said, hold on. And he immediately just bent down and said, hey, how are you doing? And he knew her, knew her name. Obviously, I don't because I was more impressed with Dave and with her. But his affection and attention was on this woman. You know, I had no impressive thing about her except that she was loved by the Father, right? I think about this every time whenever I talk with people who are mentally handicapped, that I think this person, they are loved by the Father. And if they were glorified, if I were to see them glorified, like I, I wouldn't be able to contain my joy. Right? That, that's, those are the people in the church. The people that annoy you, the people that frustrate you, the people that do things and let you down and you don't like, the people that have weird opinions or the people who do things that they, they're insistent on the carpet staying the same color or they're insistent on a certain Bible translation or, all, or you know, they're like all about you know, one political party or the next. Uh, all, all the weird things that, you know, whatever Facebook post that they do that annoys you or whatever, you know? <laughs> all those weird people in the church the Father has set his love upon them. And those are the people that he's called you to love. Not because they're so great, but because the Father is so good, right? So that's why I think Paul is ending them by, look, remember the gospel that has saved you, all of the sins that would separate you from God for eternity and theirs, Jesus died for. So you have free access to the court of heaven. And not only free access to the court of heaven, but the Father who sits at the head table, he wants you to come and sit with him. And he wants them to come and sit with him too. And then a final absolute guarantee of our life together, he ends with, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. This word fellowship, I mean, I don't know if you think about this. I grew up uh, in churches where we'd have um, the fellowship hall, right? You'd have like your worship service and then you all, everybody would trounce over and eat donuts in the fellowship hall. And I was always trying to get over first because I wanted the cream filled ones, right? Because those are the, that's where the good stuff's at, you know, you'd, wait too long and those are gone. So he's not talking about kind of like the Holy Spirit is like a great place where everybody gets to hang out and get the feels and uh, kind of like be happy together, right? He's actually, the word he uses there for fellowship is he uses over in 1 Corinthians 10 where we talk about communion. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation? That word participation is the same word for fellowship is a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? See, the word he's using there is, is, is a deep fellowship. It's a fellowship of enjoying and participating in the life of God. Right, see, I think what Paul is reminding us here is that the aim of the Christian life is not to get one-ups on each other, but we're actually to participate in the triune life of God that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the point of your Christian life is not so that you can get your devotions down in the morning or so that you can do, you know, 15 hours of prayer a week or that you can come to King's Cross Church on Saturday nights and get extra points, points in heaven. The point of the Christian life is so that you can participate in the life of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And the Spirit dwells among you to bring you into that life of God so that you are enjoying God, the Father's love for you, the Son's sacrifice for you, and the Spirit's joy in the Father and the Son. 
right? The spirit is bringing us into this life of God. That is, uh, I think if you were to ask the apostle Paul, what does it mean to be a Christian? Um, he wouldn't say, well, that's somebody who's a member of a church. He wouldn't say somebody who's been baptized. I think he would say it's somebody that's been spirit filled. And so I think where we're going to go next is we're just going to say, what are the ways in which the Spirit, because I think the, the Paul ends with the fellowship of the Spirit to kind of emphasize, look, this is where you live your life in the local church. So we're going to look at seven strengtheners for our life together because the Spirit comes in and fills us to live our life together. You guys hanging with me or we need to cut it off here? Are you guys cool? I mean, we, can, we can cut it off whenever. We're cool? All right. Because as we enter into our life of the Spirit, the Spirit comes and strengthens, I think we begin to enjoy this triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by entering in by the Spirit to enjoy this life together. So the Spirit fills us to strengthen our life together, right? Because it's three absolutes. Those are kind of like the pillars to hold the house up, right? And then these uh, seven strengtheners are the way we kind of keep the house clean and functional, right? Because uh, if you're if you're into like weightlifting at all or anything like that, like if you don't do it for a while, like things get atrophied and you just aren't growing, but if you're like pumping your iron all the time, you're going to be growing. So if we keep focusing on these things, the spirit fills us to strengthen our life together. So the first thing, verse 11, finally brothers rejoice. I think the first thing that we're seeing here is we need to be happy. (laughs) I'm not giving you a list that's going to be like, all right, now go tithe because, you know, like tithing is really the most important thing in the Christian life. Actually, the most important thing in Christian life is being happy <laughs> in God. And so Paul ends out, finally, brothers, rejoice, right? Be happy. And Jesus, we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus sends out the apostles in chapter 10 of Luke, brings them back. They're, they're spreading the gospel. And it says, Luke chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, Right? The Holy Spirit brings joy where he is. The, the, the point of the Christian life is to enjoy God and to be happy about him and what he's done for us, which is why we have expressive songs and why some people raise their hands. You don't have to if that's not like in your personality range. Like that's totally cool. But we, we love to praise God and be happy about him. And remember, this is Paul uh, focusing on the church together. How can we be serving or helping each other be happy in God? If you want to wonder, like, how can I build our life together as a church? Like, maybe just ask the question, how can I help fill in the blank, be happy in God? Like, what is, can I babysit for them so they can get a date night out and go, like, just enjoy being together? Can I invite them over to watch the Pats game or to do a movie together? I love, by the way, I've loved hearing that you guys are getting together without me having to be there. Not because, like, oh, finally, I don't have to go and hang out with these people. It's like, you guys don't need me to be able to do this. Like, you guys can do that. We, we just think, how can I help somebody be happy in Jesus and be creative? You know, like, let's go to the mall together. Let's go get coffee together. Uh, let's get other, you know, if you want to get a beer together. Like, I don't know if you do beer or not, but we can do a beer together. We can go, we got like, what, what is it? Uh, all these fairs coming up, right? Like the, the mazes. Let's go to do the, ma- you know, like, or let's go to this conference together. Like, how can we be together, right? So I, th- I think Jay and Adam have got like game nights coming up or something like that. So like tomorrow night? Yeah, so game night tomorrow night, Adam's place. I know that it seems simple, but like, how can we help each other be happy in Jesus? Well, sometimes it's just like having a friend to be with, right? 
you remind you're not alone. But how can we be aiming to help each other grow? Like, you don't have to talk to me about doing a Bible study. Like, I'm not going to say no to studying the Bible together. That's where you're going to fi- hear God's voice and find and meet God. So I think it's going to be a place where you're going to become happy in God, right? I keep going on this, sorry. We want to be fostering the life of the triune God in our church when we are committed to each other's happiness, right? It is, um, let's move on. Be, second thing we see, right? Find each other's rejoice. Second thing, aim for restoration. So I'm just saying that's be proactive, right? The reality is that, rest, that relationships in the church are hard. Um, some of you guys are going to offend each other or misunderstand each other. And Paul ends by saying, be proactive, be proactive, aim for restoration, right? He says, uh, he calls the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life in Romans 8, 2, right? Life brings restoration from death to whatever's going on, right? There's some sort of not lining up, something that's a relationship that's gone awkward or quiet that we don't quite understand, Aim for restoration. I remember uh, talking, Paul Buck was one of the wisest guys I know down in Haverhill. And I, in talking through just kind of leadership dynamics, um, when I was an intern there with him, one of the things that he would constantly say to me is like, well, have you talked to that person? <laughs> like, I'd be like, well, can you believe that? Blah, 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 blah. And he'd be like, well, have you talked to them? <sighs> That'd be hard. <laughs> well, can't I just complain about this to you, Paul? Like, you know, like, Aim for restoration. Like, you just got to, like, talk to people. Like, you just got to be like, hey, look, I don't understand what's going on. And I think the best way to approach it, aiming for restoration, is not bringing an agenda, right? Right? It doesn't say aim to be proven right. It says aim for restoration. Like, how can, hey, you know what? I don't understand what happened here. Like, it seemed like I said this and you said this and then things got awkward and then we left church. Um, Can you help me understand? Like, what did you hear? What's going on? How can we bridge this together, aim for restoration. I think the reality is that it's easy to like treat other people like the Netflix of our lives, you know, like to be like, ah, I like this friendship until it got a little weird and next, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, I just next episode or back and go to a different movie or whatever. Like we just kind of like do that with people. Like we're a consumer, like that it, it's built into us as Americans. We're consumers, right? It's fun until it's not fun, and then I move on. That's not the way it's going to be in the church. If you want to mark, am I growing in my life with God's people? How many weird and awkward situations have you aimed for restoration with, right? We don't have to say they're all sinful, right? They're just weird or awkward. Aim for restoration, right? Bring people, bring us back together, guys. Like, aim for restoration. And it's not just kind of like, it's not just aim for restoration for the for the guy that you know or the girl that you know that is just like a big old blatant sinner. <laughs> like this is just like personality weirdness or it could be sin. But aiming for restoration with each other. Second thing, third thing that we see, be gentle. He goes on to say, uh, aim for restoration, comfort one another. Right, the Holy Spirit in John fourteen sixteen is called 
the comforter or the helper. If you want to be like the Holy Spirit, come alongside people and comfort them. Right? It, and I would just say that like this, uh, it's never convenient to like have suffering and problems go on. And so that means that it's never always convenient to be a comforter to other people. But you know what? I was going to watch, you know, Man of Steel tonight, but I'm going to go and be a comfort for somebody else. Help them. Care for them. I'm going to go to the grocery store and pick up groceries for them because uh, they weren't able to get out of the house. I'm going to take groceries to them. Paul starts the book, this whole book, actually, by talking about the God of all comfort. Blessed be the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the Father of heaven, the, the God the Father, He is the one who's designed and gives birth to mercies. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I'm not saying that all the trials in our lives happen for the sole reason that God can teach us comfort. But one of the reasons that they happen is for God to comfort us with himself. And so when I come to you or you come to me to bring comfort, I'm not looking to you for the comfort. I'm looking for the God that's comforted you, right? I, just so you know, I will always disappoint you as a comforter. God who has forgiven you in Jesus, who brings compassion and brings mercy every morning, When you see the light over the hill every morning, it means mercies are fresh today and God is still a comforter and he comes near to you today to comfort you. (laughs) So when he says comfort one another, life is hard, right? God is on a comfort mission to comfort with himself. And that means that we will cry holy tears like the difficulties of this last week for some of us, holy tears over suffering and sin in our life together as we fulfill the Spirit's mission to comfort each other. The fourth one, be honest. He says, agree with one another. Now, here's what he's, what he's not saying, because we could hear that and be like, oh, God doesn't like diversity? <laughs> no, what he's saying is, agree on the essentials, you know, have an open hand about the non-essentials, right? All your preferences, be open-handed on them. I like rock music, I like jazz music, I like reggae. Yeah, but you're wrong. I mean, no, I'm kidding. I <laughs> agree with one or be honest, right? The, the spirit of truth, just in John 14, we said John 14, 16, where, John, where the spirit is called the comforter. John 14, 17, he's called the spirit of truth, Right, we we want to hold the truths of the gospel, to hold the truths of the Bible together. Right, that's that's part of why we we do the, our, our confession of faith every month, every week together, just to say, here's what we believe together. Just as a reminder, checkup list on our family identity. This is who we are. But it's also just saying, like, look, can we work together to agree on the truths of Scripture? Right. It, questions are totally fine. Like, I hope you guys know. If you have any questions about anything that we teach or believe or talk about together, you could totally ask me the hardest questions. I don't mind. Like, it does not bother me. 
but we're not going to do questions as a way of kind of like undermining and like pigeonholing and like, ah, in your face, because I'm this theological camp and you're that theological camp. No, we're going to move together towards unity, agree with one another. If we're going to be a part of a church together, we're going to agree on the things that are most essential. And we're going to be happy about it too, <laughs> right? We're not just going to be kind of like, well, I guess I'll put up with it, right? Remember, you start out, be happy, right? <laughs> Be happy and be honest. But that means we also have to say, like, look, if I don't agree with something, be like, hey, what? Well, can you help me think through this? That's great. Let's talk through that, right? So we need to be agreeing together, which means that as things happen, like we're early on in our life together as a church. As things happen or you have questions or like, hey, I don't understand why this budget item's here or Jacob, I don't know why you said this or why are we doing this for our small groups or why did we not do this fundraiser or this mission thing? That's great. Let's talk about it. But let's what's, what's, what's ask those questions to work together to, to be a body together, be a one, one congregation together, moving together towards, towards unity. So we need to be honest with each other. Sixth one or fifth one, we need to be peacemakers, right? He's, he goes on to say, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Here is, I just want to, I'll just pull this one out. Ephesians three or four verses three and four. He, he's talking about, um, he's saying to the church, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, right? To be peacemakers is to be like the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about being peacemakers in, in the Beatitudes that Bill read from, right? Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. When you're working to reconcile and to work out the hard things of life, see like to, like, to bring, uh, when he talks about like aim for restoration, like you can aim for that and like you kind of like have to like, well, I'd, there's not necessarily sin involved, but I think peacemakers is a bit more intense. Peacemakers are like, look, somebody's like seriously committed an offense. And we have to work to bring this, bring reconciliation together. Like, what, is it, what does it look like to be a peacemaker? He's calling us to be proactive peacemakers. Because in Corinth, right, if you remember, like, they had all this stuff going down and, like, people were slandering each other and, like, they got, like, their little, like, action figures for their favorite preachers, and which would be totally weird. Um, and they are not, like, being at peace with each other, right? Because they're, like, partisan and, like, going off to their own little direction, He's saying, no, you need to move towards each other, and that's going to mean hard conversations, working things out, and a gracious attitude. Like, I mean, honestly, one of the, one of the biggest things that's going on for Christians in America is, is that it's easy, to, it's easy to complain, right? Look, if you want to complain about anything going on with how I'm a pastor, feel free to go at it because it's probably true, right? Like, it's just like, I'm just like not like that great. But it's easy to get up on Facebook or write a blog post or to rant on a whatever and just say like, bah, 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 to take shots. By the way, nobody's done that to me yet. So just, if they had, I'd probably tell you about it. But um, it's easy to critique, right? It's easy to get on a Facebook post or to write a blog post and say, here's what's wrong with the church or King's Cross or whatever. It takes the spirit to fill you to move towards people physically just saying, hey, I want to look at your face and work this out. Or I need somebody's help to bring this together to work this out. Like that's, it's, it's hard. It requires a spirit that is a spirit of peace to bring us together, to work together. But you, we have to commit to this. 
be peacemakers, guys. If we are, if we hear, look, there's an offense between each other. Let's not assume the worst, um, and let's think graciously of each other, and move toward each other, because at the reality, we are we are not at war with each other. Right? That's what he's saying. Like, look, the people next to you in your seats, they're not your enemy. The enemy that you've got is inside you. <laughs> All the sin that you want to do from this last week, I want to slander. I want to get my way. I want to whatever, war on yourself, peace with your brothers and sisters. Sixth thing, be affectionate. So he he goes on to say, greet one another with a holy kiss. All right, guys. (laughs) I think what he means by this is we need to be affectionate, right? I don't think that he's actually saying like, hey, you need to like get your makeup on and smooch. Um... I think what he's saying is like, look, you just need to be affectionate towards each other. We're family. We need to be happy to see each other, be excited, right? Like, I'm not saying that I'm ex- as excited to see you guys as I am to see Michelle, but I'm still excited to see you guys. You guys are like my favorite people. Like, I go, when I'm gone on like a Saturday night for worship, I legitimately miss being with you guys. You guys are my favorite people to be with. The, he's calling us to be, right, not just sinners, but sinners who are forgiven in Jesus who are moving towards each other and love each other. And I think we have that in this church. Like, I'm excited when we hang out and do dinner together. That's one of the best things that happens. See people hang, sitting across from each other, hanging out, talking. I'm excited to see you. Right, because being affectionate, remember, the Holy Spirit is the joy of God. It, it takes on a person in the Trinity, but Father, Son, love each other, and they are excited about each other, and the Holy Spirit is the person of that joy, right? <laughs> Just kind of a crazy thing to think about. God is happy about being God, and he's happy about the Father, is happy about the Son. Son is happy about the Father. The Spirit expresses that and is a person. But we're affectionate about, hey, I'm excited to see you guys. And look, I know we're New Englanders, and like we like the stone face, but for real, crack a smile and be happy to see each other it's that we are expressing the triune god when we are happy to see each other and be together and honestly like the more we put into the bank of being happy about being with each other and being affectionate when it comes time to draw on that bank of like look there's a hard thing to go on we know that we're for each other right like we're we're not like wondering if we're we 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 like each other like no like i i love you and there's this hard conversation we need to have, but you know that I love you. I think that's what Paul's holding out for them here, as it, rooting this as an expression of the Trinity. And the, the seventh one, my slide's working out. Be global. I had to crunch the text a little bit. Be global. Verse 13, all the saints greet you. He starts out the letter by saying, look, I'm in Macedonia. And my Macedonian bros and sisters are happy about you and they send their greetings, right? All the saints greet you. Look, all you guys who are the dirtbag Christians in Corinth that loves Jesus and the Spirit's filled and the Father's pleased with, the dirtbag Christians in Macedonia send our love and affection to you, right? So there's no like, hey, all you little peon Corinthians, we say hi to you. No, Look, we're all sinners, and we got Jesus, and we're growing by the Spirit. But we say, we they are saying hi to remind you, like, look, you're not left on your own. Look, there, at no point in the Bible will you find an independent church. All the churches in the New Testament are connected and affectionate towards each other, and they're connected to each other and on mission together. 
right? This is a part of why we're a part of a sovereign grace churches, right? This is not to say that it's the best family churches ever to walk the face of the earth. I could tell you all of our skeletons and problems if you want to talk about that stuff. But we're a part of a, a global family of churches because we want to be a part of God's mission to reach and save the lost and for our care, right? Paul is expressing care from one church to another by sending this letter. This last week, I was talking... Um, there's a, I was talking with Mark Prater, who's the executive director for Sovereign Grace. We don't have popes, but I call him the Pope sometimes just be, to make fun of him. But he's the executive director of Sovereign Grace Churches, which means he helps us focus and keep on mission. And I was talking to him about something that, you know, a budget item. I can talk to you about it if you care. But I was talking about it and just said, hey, at the end of the conversation, I'm like, hey, Mark, would you just pray for our church? Because it's been a hard week for our folks. And Mark... Mark stopped and he said, hey, tell me about that. What's going on? And so for 10 minutes, I shared what was going on. Five minutes, I'd share what was going on. And for five minutes, he prayed for us. Like Mark Prater, who is in Philly area, I think visiting another church this weekend, he prayed for our church because he cares about you guys. He cares about our life and growth in Jesus together. He cares that, yeah, it's been a hard week. But you know what? We're in this together and we're praying for each other to know the love of the Father and the grace of the Son and the participation of the Spirit. That's a part of why we are a part of Sovereign Grace Churches because we need a global mindset. Sometimes when things go down in a local church, you have to remember this is not the biggest, this is not the biggest story on the planet. <laughs> The biggest story on the planet is our triune God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the life of our triune God. That's the biggest story on the planet that we're being invited into. That's, we must live together because our triune God lives in us and he's working through us to reach the nations. That's what we're going to talk about missions next week. We must live together. We can't obey these commands separately. We must do this together. And we must live together because our triune God lives among us. And as we do these seven things, we will strengthen our enjoyment of our triune God together. So let's pray. Father, as we come to you and we've heard from your word, we ask that we would enjoy your love with over us. Jesus, as we have talked about your gospel, we pray that you would refreshly remind us of your death on our behalf, in our place, so that we could enjoy the smile of God. In spirit, I pray that as we live together as a local church, that we would enjoy the smile and joy of our triune God. We pray this because of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.